InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Race is a part of everyday life. But where does America stand in the national conversation on race? And what does the future hold? InfoTrack's Roy Mackey is here to find out. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is John Hartigan, Jr. He's the director of the Americo Paredes Center for Cultural Studies in the Department of Anthropology at the University of Texas, Austin. He's also the author of several books on race, including his latest, What Can You Say? America's National Conversation on Race. Professor Hartigan, welcome to InfoTrack. Thanks. I'm really thrilled to be here. It's hard to know where to begin here, but maybe we can start with just your general diagnosis of race relations in America. This conversation is really trying to size that up. These stories about race that kind of pop up in the workplace, but generally at news stations. We're trying to figure out how race matters, why it matters, when and how, if it matters, and importantly, what counts as racial. These stories involve generally celebrities, politicians maybe, and there are people who will say things that suddenly strike us as odd or off or, you know, perhaps too revealing about somebody's racial attitude. And so we interrogate these stories very closely. Somebody like Don Imus making a characterization of the Rutgers women's team, nappy-headed hose, and suddenly those two terms that are kind of in circulation in rap and hip-hop get thrown into a sort of stark context by hearing a white guy say that and particularly a very powerful white male. It's these kind of moments where we say, okay, here's how race matters, or here's where I think is how it matters, and here's where I think race is going. But for the most part, we aren't sure, and that's why we rely upon these stories. You touched a lot there on the media. How much of this is related to the media? It seems like more news stories are being viewed rightly or wrongly through the prism of racism than in the past. Yeah, well, there's two things there. One, the media, and then two, the question of racism. And first off, the media is fundamental to all of this. It's not just because reporters are intrigued or obsessed with race. It's because people like politicians and celebrities are very effective at generating controversy because they know that that's what sells, that's what gets covered, and race is certainly one of the key controversial issues in this country. That second part is racism. Right now, that's the main and arguably the only way we have for talking about when and how race matters. But there's a lot of ways that race matters that are not reducible to racism. And that's what I think is my main point. Race is meaningful in lots of ways in terms of how people imagine the world, the ways we characterize what we eat and listen to and wear. And that's not necessarily racism. And it's that lack of a language for talking about these other ways that race can be meaningful that I think really comes into play in these controversial moments. How has the election of a black president affected the conversation on race? Because I think, at least so far, it hasn't turned out the way many people thought it might. Absolutely. And I actually (laughs) had a hard time selling this book to literary agents. I was working on it in the run-up to the 2008 election, and they to a person told me, oh, you know, nobody's going to want to read this book because by the time Obama's elected, the conversation will be over. And it, as you've just said, turned out to be actually the opposite. It's intensified the conversation. There was a huge upsurge of enthusiasm right after the election, enormous optimism that race would no longer matter. 
his election has opened up a lot of questions about how equality works in terms of race. Is that something we can actually achieve, or are we always going to have some forms of racial inequality? And as well, it's been an important new screen for you know when people are critical of him personally or him as the president or of his administration. And yet, it seems that I think most people would agree the president has been somewhat reluctant to get involved in the whole discussion. Absolutely. But it's something that we as Americans can't avoid. It's part of our daily lives, and that's one of the remarkable things. In a sense, we're doing race all day, every day, but there's really only a limited number of instances that we consider to be racial. And that's when we're trying to figure out its place in the larger society, how openly should we talk about it or not. And even though he's tried to avoid engaging in those public discussions, his racial identity is something that we're sort of inexorably drawn to to talk about and to evaluate, importantly. Let's look in a little bit of a different direction. Hip-hop music has become a huge cultural icon for young people. How has that influenced beliefs about race and racism? Yes, it's the key medium in which we talk about all this. It's really moved into the mainstream. And what's fascinating, you have these stories, college kids having a themed event, a party, a gangster party, and they dress up as these very stereotyped images from MTV, etc. Somebody takes pictures and those circulate, and suddenly this party is an example of racism on campus. White kids see a lot familiar in hip-hop and rap, but the ways that it can be sort of selectively viewed, these kind of quick edit cuts, these kids having a party, can make just the racial dimension of that stand out. The other thing is we generally prefer to talk about race in cultural terms in relationship to things like hip-hop, and we have a much more difficult time talking about it in terms of economics and politics. Our guest on InfoTrack is John Hardigan, Jr. from the University of Texas, Austin. He's the author of a book called What Can You Say? America's National Conversation on Race. One of the things you write about is the challenge of deciding when a remark or an incident in the news or just in everyday life is racial. Talk about that for a moment. We have to make this decision. For instance, Bill Clinton in the Democratic primary characterized Barack Obama's stance on the war in Iraq as a fairy tale or his account of his stance. And that got construed as a racial remark. Well, is it? People made that comment because it appeared that Clinton was not taking Obama seriously, and therefore there could be a kind of racial texture to it. And that led to a big debate between Clinton and Obama as to was one or the other playing the race card. The debate about that played out in the way journalists talked about these competing claims, and then the ways that supporters tried to counter them or accentuate them. But it's not like that word, that phrase, fairy tale, is simply racial or not. The kind of of correlate story is that whites are notoriously innovative at coming up with alternative names for people of color, trying to move away from the loaded terms, the terms that are policed in everyday discourse. So a term like Canadian gets used in the U.S. South by some whites, 
to reference black people without being caught for being racial. And it's that kind of constant invention and shifting around that makes each of these incidents so intriguing, and it makes that basic question, what is racial, what counts as racial, so difficult to answer. So where do we go from here as a nation? How can the dialogue be improved to move the nation forward in a positive way for race relations? One of the key things is that when race comes up in a conversation, in a remark, in a situation, it's important not to treat it as this transgression, as this breach of decorum, as a kind of pollution, we would say, in cultural terms. And to think about why it came up and to try to find ways of talking about that. And there is something short of racist to get at here, and that's the ways people's criticisms can develop racial overtone. If we stop treating it as a huge transgression and instead say, okay, let's think about how race matters to what was said and try to think about what anxieties might be behind that, what concerns, how they might be tied to race in the sense of a person's experience as white in the United States today might be channeling that anxiety. We get at an awful lot without having to say, well, you people are being racist. The other key thing is to move beyond this expectation that you just apologize and move on. John Imus, for instance, you try to apologize and it didn't work because it ends up generally saying, oh, you know, it shouldn't have come up at all. Well, race is going to come up when Americans talk or interact. It's always there in the background. And at those moments when it does come up, we need to think about it in terms less charged, say, than this accusation of racism. Very interesting conversation. Professor John Hartigan, Jr., Director of the Americo Paredes Center for Cultural Studies at the University of Texas, Austin, and author of a book called What Can You Say? America's National Conversation on Race. Do you have a website where people can learn more? Yes, I do. Projectpath.org backslash Hartigan, H-A-R-T-I-G-A-N. And that's Project Past? Yes, P-A-S-T. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us on InfoTrack. Well, thank you. I enjoyed it. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. A production of Syndication Networks.